Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. Having a well of resources leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Karen Alange. Karen is an interpersonal communication consultant. She's been providing interpersonal and parenting consulting to volunteers, staff, management and education, social services, corrections, counseling, law, healthcare, and nonprofits like the Parent Engagement Network since 2006. Karen uses an evidence-based strategy called motivational interviewing to help her clients choose their words wisely. Karen is one of the speakers at our upcoming Stress and Anxiety Conference on January 29th and 30th. You can sign up for her workshop and others on our website at www.penbv.org. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So I love this conversation. I can't wait to have it with you. Uh, And part of that is because I always say we create our world in language. And I loved the quote from your website when you said, words create ripples. I'll help you choose yours wisely. So tell us a little bit about what that means and what it means to be an interpersonal communication consultant. Well, basically it means that people come to me when they feel a breakdown in communication at home or at work, and I help them sort it out and figure out how to get back on track. So what are some examples of those kind of communication breakdowns? Well, typically when parents get in touch with me, it's with some version of my kid isn't doing what I think they should be doing Mm. or is doing something I think they shouldn't be doing. (laughs) So uh, that might be a preschooler who isn't sharing. It might be a second grader who isn't cleaning up their room. It might be a middle schooler who's wearing too much makeup (laughs) or it might be a high schooler who um, is spending too much time gaming online, right? So the first thing I usually do with parents is we look at what is developmentally appropriate for the age and stage of their child, right? And we do that so that parents can feel confident that their expectations are calibrated with the reality of what their child is capable of at that age and stage. So nothing's more frustrating than expecting a second grader to clean up their room by themselves when developmentally, we know that they're still at the age where they're gonna need help with that. They're gonna need a parent in there, keeping them company, helping them prioritize, helping them sort, helping them remember what they're doing in there. (laughs) It's very tempting when you're in second grade and you find Legos that you haven't seen in a while to just start playing with them, right? (laughs) So when we have parents grounded in the developmentally appropriate expectations, we find that every, the whole, everything in the system just starts to calm down because we recognize that kids need more support than we think they should, or that maybe we're in the mood to give at that moment. But having that clarity takes a load off of the system of both parent and child. So the first thing we do is we're going to calibrate expectations. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to look at what is the kid trying to accomplish with their behavior, right? So I'm a firm believer that all behavior is purposeful and, and it's not just to annoy us. (laughs) Sometimes that's a little piece of it. If they feel like they're not getting what they need, then annoying us is a way to get our full attention, right? So 
So basically kids aren't born knowing pro-social strategies for getting their needs met. They know they're hungry. They don't know how to cook yet, right? They know they're lonely. They don't know how to pro-socially say, mommy, can you please give me a hug? Instead, they're dragging on your leg while you're trying to cook dinner. Mm. So they're not born with mature strategies for getting their needs met. And, and even when they have developed some strategies for getting their needs met, those strategies can disintegrate quickly under duress. And to be honest, that's the same with us adults too. We mm-hmm. have great strategies, but when we're too tired or we're too stressed or we're feeling crummy about ourselves, we don't always have access to those mature strategies either. We can get whiny and clingy and say things that we don't mean, right? So that's just part of the human package. But so taking a look at Dr. Ross Green is one of my role models in the parenting world. And I'll connect your listeners with some resources from him. But one of his mottos that I just love is that kids do well when they can. And if they can't, they need our help, right? So if kids are misbehaving, we can look at that as either they don't know a better strategy or they don't have access to it at this moment. Either way, we need to come closer and help them develop, either develop a strategy or get access to that strategy. And isolating them, punishing them, sending them away, it doesn't help them learn what to do instead. It just helps them recognize that we're not happy with them. So recognizing that behavior is communicating something, then we can sort of do what we tell them to do and listen (laughs) to what are they trying to accomplish and how can I help them accomplish that in a way that doesn't annoy me (laughs) because we're a relationship, right? That's, that's what we adults are learning in our relationships too. How do we get our needs met without annoying each other? So I think it's important for me to note here that a lot of times we hear, Oh, he just wants attention as if that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I really think that that's a beautiful thing. If your kid wants your attention, that means they care about you and you're, you, you know, this is the parenting well podcast. Like it means attention from you fills their well. And so we can teach them ways that don't annoy us to ask for our attention and to get our attention. And we can also take responsibility for filling that well before it gets empty. Mm-hmm. Right. So we don't want our kids to just be skating on, on dregs and then reaching out to us in ways that feel frantic or clingy or repulsive to us. We want to kind of pour in some preventative attention before they get to the bottom of the well. When we react with something like Johnny just wants attention, it has a shaming effect. Like there's something wrong with that. And I think that just simply reframing that and saying, looks like you need some attention. What can I do for you right now? Could change everything in that interaction. Yes. And it's ironic that when, when the well runs dry, the way kids try to get our attention is almost always on our last nerve, right? Mm. So then, then it, it leads into this kind of perpetuating cycle where they're empty, they reach out to us in a non-effective way, and we push them away, right? Because we don't want to reinforce that clinginess and we don't want to reinforce that whining and we don't want to, right? So the very thing that they need so desperately is the very opposite of what they call forth from us in those moments. And Mm. so we don't wanna let them run to empty because it just doesn't work out well for either of us. What is a good example of a preventative way to avoid that well running empty? I love that question. And I think it's, um, if we talked about nothing else today, that would be a really useful thing to talk about. Um, So what it looks like to me is it looks like giving attention while things are going well for me. 
right? So when I'm on my last nerve is not the time where I can prioritize attention for my child. So it involves first recognizing when do I have extra to give, right? Maybe that's first thing in the morning. Maybe I am not a morning person. Don't even talk to me until I've had my coffee and some time to myself, right? So knowing myself and knowing when is it that I have a little extra and then prioritizing the use of that energy isn't like to zone out on more mindless TV or whatever. That's for a different time. But when I have, when I have a little overflow, I want to shower that on my child, right? So it might mean maybe I'm a morning person and I think, you know, I'm going to wake up 10 minutes early because I'm a morning person. What's 10 minutes? And I'm going to go crawl in bed with my kid and snuggle for 10 minutes. And that doesn't empty my well to do that, right? So we don't want parents emptying their wells to fill their children's because that's not, that's the airplane mask thing, right? Not sustainable. So when I have extra, I want to prioritize sharing that with my child. And I also want to learn about my child. What is it that fills them up? Are they a snuggler? Do they like back rubs? Do they hate being touched, but they would love a good debate with me about sports? Do they want to shoot hoops in the backyard? Do they want to go for a bike ride? Do they want to play with the dog, right? Learning kind of the, um, the laser focused, I, I can't remember the word, but when you like the supercharge, you know how your phone charges real fast, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what charges your child really fast and give that preventatively every single day, right? So even if it's one minute and that's all you have to give is that day is one minute, one minute of full focus on filling your child's well. It takes a level of paying attention and Really, when we talk about being in a relationship with someone, whether that is your partner or friend or your child, it, it involves paying attention and being curious about what matters to them. Absolutely. And ourselves. It does involve paying close attention to our children and what matters to them, not what we think should matter to them. And it also involves, actually first, it involves paying close attention to ourselves so that we recognize our well running dry and we can fill it before we try to fill theirs. We run the risk when we're empty of asking our child to fill our well by behaving mm. right, <laughs> mm. which mm -hmm. is, they can't really do realistically, right? Like we have to take charge of filling our own well. And as a parent, we also for a time can help our child fill their well, but at some point they need to take that over too. It's not for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I liked what you started with when you talked about developmentally appropriate kinds of interactions, because while we're talking about behavior issues, I like the figure of speech, small kids, small problems, bigger kids, bigger problems. I think that when we start to have problems or behavior problems later, these look very different than a kid hanging on your leg. So I think it's really important to be paying attention to what, what are their needs right now at the age that they are right now and how do we support that? Well said. And to keep up with the changes, right? Like our 10 year old might've been a snuggler, but our 12 year old might be like, do not come in my room and certainly do not touch me. Right. <laughs> and so as parents staying current and not assuming that because we knew what worked for them yesterday or this morning, <laughs> that yeah. it still works for them. And so it, there's a level of kind of um, not taking it personally that we want to be able to achieve that says, okay, so that was this morning. And right now time alone is really what they're asking for. I can do that. 
right? And not taking that personally. It's not against you that they need solitude. So when we think about other barriers to communication, issues rise, behavior problems happen, lack of self-care for the parent, you know, not connecting with the child. What kind of barriers do you see for being in good communication with your kiddos? Parents sometimes, especially with teenagers, will say, well, you know, I sit down and I try to, I try to interact with my child, but he just sits there with his arms crossed and won't even look at me. You know, those kind of things that we really, we see a lot as parents. So what kind of barriers have you seen and how can parents deal with that? Well, at the risk of repeating myself, I think um, that same thing we started with, with kids not doing what parents think they should applies in this realm as well, right? So if I was working with a parent who says like, he just sits at the table with his arms crossed and he won't say anything, I'd be thinking he sits at the table. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the same room with him physically. That's a good sign, right? Like he's not so allergic to your presence that he won't stay. So he might not be communicating on your terms, but you want to look to see what, what are his terms, right? And his, where his physical body is is one of his methods of communication. He certainly doesn't have to be sitting there at the table. He's got his room, he could be there, right? So I guess you could put this under the heading of meet your child where they are, not where, not don't wait for them where you think they should be. Because <laughs> mm. you, might, you might wait a long time. <laughs> but if you can meet them where they are and just be emanating, like the vibe you're looking for is like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. You don't have to say it, but that's what you want to be sort of beaming, radiating, right? Like, I'm glad you're here. I like having you here. And it's okay if you don't want to talk. Can I make you some tea? I mean, you know, do you want to whatever, you know, offer something or just put it on the table and just be available, be present, but not intrusive, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so maybe you're there playing, I don't know, doing a crossword puzzle or playing on your phone or whatever, but know that whatever you're doing, if your kid starts talking, you want to be able to put that down pretty quick and just be like, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. Yeah. It seems sort of counterintuitive to what many times as parents were sort of believe, or we're sort of trained to do, which is to force the issue or to interject yourself uh, rather than just allowing space to be there. Yes. And let them, it's kind of like if a little deer comes into a clearing, (laughs) right? Like you don't run over and engage with the deer because you're so excited. You just stay cool, stay calm, stay welcoming. And the deer comes and gets curious about you. Yeah. That's your biggest muscle to exercise as a parent of teens is the not taking it personal muscle. And believe me, I get it. It's hard. And so that brings me to another point that I think is really important in a parent's sort of bag of tricks, which is having somewhere with an adult where you can really vent about how hard it is because it is right. So I sat at the kitchen table for one hour with my kid and he kept his arms crossed the whole time and never said a thing. And I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. How do I get through to this kid? This was my baby. You know, I I gave him everything, whatever, all those feelings, they're valid and they need to go somewhere other than the kid. So a partner, a friend, a therapist, a coach, whatever, someone who can just hear those feelings that you deserve to have, but those feelings get in the way if you give them to your kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, I did everything for you and you can't even talk to me. Now we just put up a wall, right? But we can, I can say that to my friend all day long. I can't believe this kid is so ungrateful. And she's like, gosh, that's hard. <laughs> you know. And then I run out of steam and I go, all right, 
I'm going back in. <laughs> mm. So that's a crucial parenting tool is somewhere that you can just let it all hang out, not giving you advice, not correcting you, just listening and receiving how hard this is. Yeah, you use a technique called motivational interviewing to coach people and help people have better communication with each other. What does that look like? Uh, motivational interviewing is a collaborative conversation style for having productive conversations about change. It's based on the premise that when people feel pressured to change, they tend to push back, right? We're like red-blooded humans. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like being manipulated, persuaded, convinced, right? We value the right to decide for ourselves, especially in this culture. So if someone comes along, even our mom who we love dearly and implies to us that we're doing something wrong and we need to do something different, it just starts this instant power struggle dynamic of, no, I don't. And so what motivational interviewing does is it teaches us don't apply pressure. Instead, find out about that person's own desire, reasons, plan for change. So instead of saying something like, don't you think that you should cancel that shift on Saturday so you can study for the ACT, which is not unreasonable, right? But all of a sudden, as soon as I bring in, like, I think you're doing something wrong, then there's, I got this, I can handle it. Whereas a minute ago, the kid might've been thinking, gosh, I wonder if I should cancel that shift on Saturday, <laughs> right? So instead I might say, I might share my concern. Like, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you're gonna be able to have enough time to study, what are your thoughts, right? So I'm inquiring about where they are. I'm assuming they're not, they're not a fool. They're not ignorant. They're not, you know, they're thinking beings and I'm giving them a chance to think out loud without judgment, without pressure, without steering, without lecturing, right? Just like I'm noticing this and I'm wondering, what do you think about it? And another premise of motivational interviewing is that people tend to believe what they hear themselves say more than what they hear other people say. Our own voice has like the ring of truth to it. So if I hear myself say, gosh, I think maybe I should just, I should just switch that shift. Cause like, I'm getting really stressed out. Oh, well, that sounds right. But if my mom says that, then I have to resist, right? The motivational interviewing is another way of kind of working with human nature and recognizing that when we push, they push back. And then in doing so, they anchor themselves into the status quo. And we don't want that. We want them free to move, free to think, free to change their minds without judgment. So it creates more of a conversation. Exactly. And, and I think what's important is it doesn't, it's not so much for the parent's benefit as the child's, right? So I want to structure the conversation so the kid is the one who's arguing for change, not me. So it changes the conversation they're having with themselves about this idea. So I, I can and have had um, extended conversations about change with someone, and I never knew what the change was that they were contemplating. It wasn't important. I don't need to know, but they do, right? So I might say to them, so what's important to you about making this change? And what they say out loud is what they hear that has the ring of truth to it. Like, oh gosh, you know, I, I really want to get into a good college and I sure don't want to take this ACT twice. I'm just going to receive that. Like, oh, I hear you. That would be a drag. So it involves parental restraint, <laughs> which I don't want to deny is hard right? But the payoffs are very big because what you want is a critical thinking adult. You want to raise a critical thinking adult mm. and they have to practice. We can't do their critical thinking for them and then release them at 18 and have them take over. Mm. They have to practice. 
You basically just said the answer to this question to some extent by saying that practice kind of makes perfect, right? But what is it about motivational interviewing that makes it so effective? Because I know it's been effective. It's effective with parents, and I know it's been effective in a lot of other fields. People have used Mm -hmm. this in a lot of different ways. And it actually started in in, uh, alcohol substance use treatment. And it was at the time when it was all about scaring people straight and confronting them and calling them on their stuff. And it was just very much like some other person knows what's best for you and is going to set you straight. It was very clear that that wasn't working. It wasn't changing outcomes. And um, so Dr. Miller and Dr. Rolnick are the, are the founders of motivational interviewing. And they thought, you know, that's not really working with human nature. Human nature is we don't like to be told what to do. And we resist that. And so working with human nature would be basically keeping someone company in a non-judgmental way while they sort through what they want to do. And that's what all the strategies ultimately fuel is like, how do I be with you in a way that doesn't trigger your defensiveness, doesn't trigger the feeling that I'm pushing you. Now, let me give a caveat here, right? This isn't for life and limb threatening issues, right? Like a firefighter doesn't come in and get someone out of a burning house and say, what's important to you about leaving the building? Scoop you up and go, right? Like if, you're, if your kid is about to um, you know, do something that's, that's life-threatening and dangerous, you protect their safety first, you do what has to be done. And then later when everybody's calm, then we're having this conversation about next time. So I don't want to give the idea that this just means like, you know, um, the sky's the limit on behavior and anything goes. It's not that at all. It's recognizing that as a parent, the older my child gets, the less control I have over their behavior. And so I need to be releasing that and guiding them while they take over the wheel, right? If we think about the um, teaching a kid to drive, right? Eventually they got to get behind the wheel and they got to navigate that car by themselves. And we might be a passenger if we're lucky, if we've not triggered them into kicking us out of the car, we might actually be able to help them navigate a little bit if we're asked. But if we try to grab the wheel, if we try to step on the brake for them, right, there's a a crash is likely to happen. Can you think of any other concrete examples for parents on how to start this conversation, how to change? Because this really is a matter of changing to some extent, depending on how you parent, the way in which you listen to your child, the way in which you interact with them, the kind of expectations you have, where can a parent start with that? Well, I think you'll notice a pattern with me. Like it always starts with the parent first, right? So it starts with a little introspection and recognizing, you know, this is not a mini me that I produce. What matters to me may not be important to this child of mine. What I think is important in life may not be important. So like, for example, some parents I would venture to say many parents highly value education, right? Especially um, around here, right? Everybody wants their kid to go to college. Not everybody, but a lot of parents want their kid to go to college. Well, so starting with yourself is recognizing, I really think college is important. But what I don't yet know is what does my kid think? And without that piece of information, any conversation we have is pressure, right? So I want to have what I call an exchange of expertise in these conversations with my child. I have some life experience that they don't have, but they have a lot of knowledge of themselves that I don't have. So I might start the conversation. Let's say um, I know that they're gonna need a certain ACT score to get in even to the most basic place. And um, I don't see any studying happen and I'm getting panicky, right? So the first thing I wanna do when I notice I'm, I'm getting panicky is I wanna go talk to my person who listens to me. And I want, not my kid, I wanna dump all of that. like oh my gosh, no future, 
bomb on the street, you know, all of my stuff that's running through my head that runs through all of our heads and going to be living in my basement forever because, you know, minimum wage job, blah, blah, blah. Empty all that out first so that I can settle down a little bit. And then I want to get clear what exactly are my concerns here? And until I can identify my concerns, I really don't have anything to say to my kid yet. So for some people, the journaling really helps that. What are my actual concerns? It's not a concern to say everyone should go to college. That's not a concern. A concern is, honey, I read this article that lifetime earning power is boosted by X dollars when you have a college degree. And I want to make sure that you always have what you need financially. That's a legit concern, right? That gives your kids some information to sink their teeth into other than just, but you should. That's not enough. Mm. (laughs) That's not educational. You should, right? Or I want you to. So then I'm going to present it as I have some thoughts I'd like to share with you. And I'd like to hear your thoughts. Is this a good time, right? Like running out the door late for practice, not a good time. Just got broken up with by their girlfriend, not a good time. And you don't know that. So if, if this isn't a good time, when might be a good time? Let's, let's see if we can come up with something in the next couple of days, right? Now we're going to sit down when it's a good time. And I'm going to say, so this ACT thing is concerning me. And I'd like to share my concerns with you. And then I'd like to hear your thoughts. And then I'm going to list my concerns, right? I'm worried about future earning. I'm worried about missed opportunities. I'm worried about doors closing that are hard to open later. I'm worried about whatever, financial aid, whatever it is, right? Share my concerns. And I'm going to say, so what do you think about that? And that's the step that we so often miss as parents. We just feel like message delivered, mic drop, (laughs) I'm out, right? Like go, go ponder these things, but we want to have a conversation. So what do you think about that? And he might be like, mom, here's an interesting angle on the ACT that I never thought of that I learned from someone else, which was, you know what? Maybe you don't want your kid to over-prepare for the ACT because they're going to get a score that doesn't represent what they're capable of sustaining in their work. And if they get into Ivy League or whatever it is, like they're going to be drowning every day because they can't maintain that level. So maybe they take the ACT based on where they are and who they are and whatever score they get, gets them into the program that's right for them. I will admit, I didn't, I never thought about that until a college consultant shared that with me. And I was like, oh, (laughs) how interesting. I don't know that about my child. I don't know where that sweet spot is. So that exchange of expertise, right? Like, so here's my concerns. Now, what do you think? And maybe your kid is one who met with that college counselor who said, you know what, don't over-prepare, just take it as you are and you'll end up in the right place. If I hear that from my kid, I'm going to be thinking, oh, that's actually a good point. I think I'm going to back off out of this right now. I could take that off my plate. When I hear that, what I hear is leaving a child empowered and supported and listened to. Yes. And accepted, right? So accepting that they might have different goals for their lives than we have for ours and for theirs. And the goal here is that we want to remain accessible to them as a resource because things happen that are bigger than they can handle on their own, right? And so if they have shut me out of their life because all I ever do is tell them what to do and tell them how they're failing and tell them how they're letting me down and tell them how I want them to be, that they're not, then when there is an issue that's bigger, I mean, we, we know all the scary things that can happen with teens, right? Like there's a call from the police or there's a boyfriend or girlfriend issue or whatever, then we want to be there. We want them to think of us as a person they can talk to who will help them sort it out. Not as a person that they better hide this big thing from, or they're going to get in more trouble. Mm. I want them coming to me when there's trouble, not to their peers. So there's so I trust. That. I have to earn it. Personally, I think this technique is so useful. And I think that it is, it's effective, not just when your kids are in the home with you, but if you've established this way of being with each other, 
then it is also effective when you have young adult children that are out of the house. And as we were talking earlier, you know, then those problems or those issues or those concerns are very different when you're a young adult dealing with the world. Yes. And you don't want your kid like driving away from the curb with their U-Haul going off to college and then like figuring it all out without an, a wise adult. <laughs> yeah. After that, right? You want to put out this vibe that says, you know, like whatever you bring to me, we will figure out together. That's how I want to be in your world. You can count on me to be there with you and help you figure this out. Not to shame you, like you were talking about earlier, right? Not to chastise you, not to be like, what did you, what were you thinking? But to say, okay, so let's put our heads together and let's see where we go from here. In this process that we were talking about, after you shared your concerns, your child has shared his or her concerns, where do you go from there? So then that's, again, another place where we show some inhibition, where we don't decide where they go from there, right? We've shared our concerns. So the way I'm looking at this is our job in that situation is to make sure they have as much information as possible so they can make an informed decision about how to behave, right? Because I can't just like pick them up by their overall straps and move them where I want them to be like I could when they were babies, right? So I'm recognizing it's their decision what they do here. But I just want to make sure, and I've sometimes had to say this, like, I just would feel like a bad mom if I didn't put this out for your consideration, right? Like if I just didn't say that I knew someone who got pregnant in a hot tub or whatever it is we're talking about, you know, like, and I would be worried that there was information I had that I didn't share with you that would have, that could have impacted your decision, right? But it's your decision to make. It's your ACT. I don't take it for you. It's really up to you where you want to go from here. And so really what I'm doing is I'm sharing my concern and then I'm acknowledging I can't make this decision for you, nor should I. And I'll be here for you no matter what you decide, right? When I'm working with counselors and teachers at alternative high schools, their, you know, their big concern is how do I get this kid to graduate? And after we work together for a while, their question changes to how do I keep the door open so that whatever decision this student makes, they feel comfortable coming back to me if they change their mind. And a lot of cases it's when. So there's always someone in one of my trainings who says, I had a student who just, they dropped out to do roofing because they could make $25 an hour for, you know, the whole, the whole warm weather season. And then they got hurt and then they couldn't work anymore. So they called me back and they wanted to finish their degree. And that is a huge win, right? When they change their mind, you want, you want to be there with open arms. Glad to see you. Let's put our heads together and get you what you want, which is graduated. What you said brings up two things for me that I think parents struggle with a lot. One of them is that a choice is just a choice. And I think as a parent, we sometimes can think if our child makes this choice, it's a definite thing and and it's the end of the road, right? And choices just lead to other choices. You can always make a different choice. Yes. I love that. And what I usually use when I'm teaching in the car analogy, right? Like the kids driving, we hope that we get to be a passenger and be a resource is that when you think about GPS, there's no wrong turn. If you ignore the GPS, it says recalculating. And so instead of missing, you know, you miss the right turn, it'll take you a bunch of lefts, but you can still get there. And so parents recognizing like there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be choices that lead them away from where they say they want to go and where we hope they'll go, but never to lose hope that they can recalculate and life can mm-hmm. recalculate. They change their minds later. They can get their GED. They can go to 
you know, front range first and then go to school. It's not a dead end. You said something in the beginning that I think is really important. And that is that these are life skills. We continue to make choices that then we have to make a different choice after the fact, because the one we picked wasn't the best choice. (laughs) Yeah. And we didn't know that until hindsight. And then we recalculated. And I think um, that brings me to one other thing that I want to say is I don't want to give the impression that there is ever such a thing as doing parenting right or perfect or even really well, (laughs) right? There's good enough. And relationships are going to have those impasses. We get into parenting woefully unprepared. We don't know what we're doing. We figure it out by doing it wrong and then correcting and then trying again, right? I'm always talking about it's like the Roomba method of parenting. Like we go across the room, we hit the wall, we recognize that's not working. Back up, turn, hit the wall, back up, turn, hit the wall. That's how adults and children learn, right? They make mistakes, they adjust, they try again. And so we're going to do harm at times to our relationship with our child. It's just unavoidable. We're going to be on our last nerve. We're going to yell. We're going to say something that we're ashamed of. And so a really important parenting skill is to be able to repair the relationship after that's happened and to be able to go back and say, you know what, honey, I am not proud of how I handled that talk about your report card. And how was that for you? And the kid's like, well, geez, mom, I was just trying to tell you about my history teacher hates me or, you know, whatever it is. And you could say, you know what? I hear you. And, and I, and I wasn't a good listener because I had all these things coming up in me that, that kept me from being a good listener. And I want to apologize for that. And I want you to know, I do care about you and about what you think. And so if you would like to tell me again, I think I'm in a better place to listen. And if you don't, that's okay. And if I start feeling myself get agitated some other time, I'm going to try to take a break until I can listen again. And I just want you to know that, right? So now we're back in the car. We're back in the car. Kids are so forgiving when we just don't blame them for our mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it also, it, it shows them they're human and it gives them permission. That was actually when I said there were two things that came to my mind. That was the second thing was that I think that as parents, sometimes we don't allow enough room for mistakes and recovery. By doing that, it shows that we make mistakes and they're going to make mistakes. And, and because we love each other, we can talk about these mistakes and move on from them. Exactly. Which is a really important life skill, right? So not only is it good for our relationship with our child to be able to do that, but we're also modeling for them what to do when they make a mistake because they inevitably will too. Mm-hmm. So repair is an important parenting skill because we're go- there's going to be ruptures. There's just no way around that. One of the things I remember learning as it relates to motivational interviewing is asking permission, being able to say, is it okay that I share with you how I feel about that? And really having that permission from them or even asking permission to share your experience and your knowledge. Like if I might have some different views on this. Would it be okay with you if I shared them with you? Yes. So important for a couple of reasons. One is that sometimes it's legitimately not a good time, right? Like the kid is, is using every ounce of energy to not explode at that moment. And they cannot take one more thing on board, no matter how well-intentioned or respectful it is. And so to say like, would this be a good time for me to share my concerns? And if they're like, no, then we got to respect that, right? We were just about to waste our breath anyway. (laughs) So, (laughs) So one is that timing is important. And we know that stressed out brains are not in a receptive learning mode. And so we want to check in. Is this a good time? And if it's not, we want to respect that. The other is that when we ask for permission, we're, we're signaling their brain that something's coming to make room for. And even better if we can say, I'd like to share 
something with you. And then I'd like to hear your thoughts. So they don't feel like I'm just going to have to sit here and get lectured to, and I'm not going to be able to say anything. If they know, like, if I listen to you, then I'm going to have my turn to say that I think it's ridiculous or whatever it is after, then it helps them to listen. It helps all of us to listen if we know we're going to get a chance to talk after. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you would want to leave parents with today? Um, I think it would be a few things. One is um, to recognize that this is just really hard. Parenting is is probably the hardest thing most of us will ever do, in part because we have so little education and preparation for it, right? We have how we were parented for better or for worse. We have maybe a few articles in a magazine, you know, but (laughs) not very many of us have our own um, personal resource that we can go to. And so recognizing that it's hard, recognizing that under stress, we're not going to be our best self in any area of life, really. And since parenting is kind of inherently stressful, it's very frequently that we're not our best selves as parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to cut ourselves some slack, being able to really take advantage of um, having an adult listener where we can just dump all the garbage and then recognizing that our child is not us and they have a different outlook on life. They have different values, priorities, etc. And instead of assuming that different is bad, we want to be curious, respectfully curious. Like, how do you see this? What's coming up for you? And then finally that repair piece, recognizing like we will get into places, into doing things, saying things that we're not proud of. And so we want to keep that repair skill very handy because we will make good use of it. (laughs) And it's okay, right? That's like part of Even in our mistakes, we're teaching our kids how to recover from making mistakes. If we were a parent who never made mistakes, we would miss out on giving our kids this valuable model for how to repair. (laughs) So valuable to hear that. This has been extremely helpful. And I love the concrete examples and the little tips and tools you shared on how parents can start to engage with their kids, maybe in a different way than they typically do. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. It's been my pleasure. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here with you today. To hear more from Karen and our other presenters at our Stress and Anxiety Conference, please visit our website, which again is www.penbv.org to sign up for our virtual conference. Um, If you're inspired, there's also an opportunity on our website to make a donation or even become a sponsor. And Karen, would you like to share with our audience how they can best reach you? Sure. I think the best way is to go to my website, which is karenalange.com which I think you'll be able to see how to spell my name in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you. We hope that today's conversation has really added to your parenting well and that the information and insights that we've shared here today will support you in raising healthy, happy kids. So it was an honor to have you join us. And until next time, happy parenting.